Hello, I am the host of Shifting Culture, Joshua Johnson. I just want to come on before the episode and tell you all thank you for listening. Did you know that big things are coming for Shifting Culture and you can be a part of it? We have just launched a Patreon. When you become a monthly patron to the show, you will get our episode ad-free, get early access to episodes, be able to download episode guides, and get bonus shows. Go to patreon.com slash shifting culture to support all that we are doing. Your support means that we can continue to help the body of Christ look more like Jesus. Again, go to patreon.com slash shifting culture. Thank you so much. Now, on to the episode. Hello, and welcome to the Shifting Culture Podcast, in which we have conversations about the culture we create and the impact we can make. We long to see the body of Christ look like Jesus. I'm your host, Joshua Johnson. You can go to shiftingculturepodcast.com to interact and donate. And don't forget to hit the follow button on your favorite podcast app to be notified when new episodes come out each Tuesday. And it would help us if you would go right now and leave a rating and review of the show. All you have to do is open your app right now and click five stars. It's pretty easy. Thank you so much. Previous guests on the show have included Jamie Winship, Jim Wilder, and Kath Livesey. You could go back, listen to those episodes and more. But today's guest is Pete Gregg. Pete is the increasingly bewildered founder of 24-7 Prayer, an international, interdenominational movement of prayer, mission, and justice which has been praying night and day for more than 20 years and has reached more than half the nations on earth. He and his wife, Sammy, a professional counselor, serve as senior pastors of Emmaus Road. Pete also co-hosts the Lectio 365 Daily Devotional, is a director of Waverly Abbey Trust, an ambassador for the NGO Tear Fund, and a member of the Order of the Mustard Seed. He's written many books, including Red Moon Rising, God on Mute, and How to Pray. It was a lot of fun to sit down and have a conversation with Pete. We talk about the paradox of the kingdom, serving the good shepherd and the bleeding lamb, finding diverse perspectives in the church, the importance of prayer and hope for what could come out of Waverly Abbey. I know you're going to enjoy this one as much as I did. So here's my conversation with Pete Gregg. Pete, welcome to the podcast. I'm excited to have you on. Thank you so much for doing this. Oh, it's a joy to be with you. Thanks for having me. Yeah. You know, when I was uh, reflecting on you and your life, uh, I mean, it mirrors a lot with the the people of God uh, and the story of the Bible when there's a lot of highs and mountains and miracles and stories of answered prayer and God with us. And then there's valleys and difficult struggles of unanswered prayer how do you stay steadfast in the midst of all of that and just keep walking with Jesus? Well, we're going straight in there, baby. We're going straight into it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, you don't have to be on the Christian road for too long to discover it's one big fat paradox. Yeah. Um, and you're going to have to get comfortable with that. Um, you know, it's it's a life is a Rembrandt. You know, it's shadows and light. It, it it's not kind of beige. It's not it's not consistent. And of course, in a movie, 
that you, you get a narrative arc, right? Mm-hmm. It starts happy, then it gets sad, it gets happy again. But we all know that in life, the good, the bad, and the ugly hits you three times between the eyes before breakfast. And the hardest question to answer sometimes is, how are you? You know, like, so right now, I, I as I speak to you today, on one hand, I have to process the fact that um, I just heard that two of my books are being translated into Chinese, which is kind of exciting. And I just heard that the Daily Devotional podcast we do, Lecture 365, now has almost a quarter of a million regular users. So encouragement, but this same day, my mother is in hospital having had a massive stroke mm. and can't speak and swallow. And so right there, you've got the Rembrandt, you've got the shadows and you've got the light. So yeah, you have to get familiar with with paradox. And one of the things I feel so strongly about, Josh, is that the Bible is more honest about that than the church. Yeah. You know, the the the, the church it's this big cover up. And and then you read the Bible and it's just it's unbelievable what they didn't redact from the text, right? <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> they needed a they needed a good marketing, you know, good PR advisor to say <laughs> like, hey, if Peter's your man, let's just remove no one will be hurt if we remove the bit about him trying to talk Jesus out of the cross. Like, you just don't have to sh- too much information. So, um, yeah, the Bible, the, you know, what is it? Half the Psalms are lament. Even there, by the way, I hear a lot of um, progressive Christians now talk about that and the importance of lament. But what they miss is this. Um, it's, it doesn't work like, you know, 50% of the Psalms are sad and 50% are happy. The way it works is 50% of most psalms mm. are sad and happy. So right there, we've got the paradox. So I haven't answered your question. I've just agreed with it. <laughs> it is a paradox. Uh, and we're walking through a place with with a lot of it. But we do have a, a, a shepherd and a good shepherd that walks with us um, and is with us and sets a table before us uh, in front of our enemies and walks with us in, in the valley. So how do we stay close then to the shepherd and know that in those times of, of paradox that he is with us? Well, it's my experience that it's in the times of suffering that we experience him particularly close. And it's the story of the people of God going back millennia that we don't do too well when everything's comfortable. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, you know, I've been leading a prayer movement for 23 years now, and, and this is what I've learned. Uh, no one has a problem with prayer. We just have a problem with comfort. And I can prove it because literally nobody ever left the doctors after a terminal diagnosis and said, I really should pray about this, but I find it difficult. You know, very few people, for that matter, stand under the northern lights or hold a newborn baby and say, wow, behold, a biological fluke born into a meaningless universe. You know, the the root of the word prayer um, is linked in Latin to the word precarious. Mm. So we pray because life is too precarious. It's too big for our brains and our hearts. It's too terrifying and too wonderful. So my experience is Psalm 23, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I'll fear no evil, for thou art with me and so as we walk through the valley of the shadow our prayer understandably is always beam me up scotty like 
make this get me i'm a celebrity get me out of here like like i want an airlift i want a helicopter now and my experience and i i'm sure the experience of most people listening to this josh is that sometimes god does it mm-hmm. and we call it a miracle right that the cancer gets healed you know that the, the miracle happens but more often than god airlifts us out of our problems he parachutes in and joins us in the midst of them and we experience him in the mri tube or you know um you know in in the prison cell or wherever it is so um you know and 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 let me say one other thing as we as we're riffing around the theme of paradox um you said we have a good shepherd yes and amen but here's here's the real head mash the good shepherd is also the pascal lamb the shepherd is also a sheep so yes i'm following a shepherd who protects me and leads me and that's really nice but i am also walking with a lamb who's bleeding to death on my behalf Hmm. and there is comfort in that as well because alone in all the religious paradigms as followers of christ we have a god who suffers with us and for us and is not dispassionate to our suffering that's mind-blowing to know that we serve a god that has suffered more than we're going to suffer that he could relate to every suffering and grief and sorrow that we go through and we don't see that in other deities other religious text we see it in this god that we serve it's an incredible, yeah. mind-blowing thing that that happened, that this is who God is, that God decided to come and be one of us and experience um, it all. Well, <laughs> and, and, you know, it, 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 it is, you know, if you look at Eastern religions, you have a, a, a paradigm that says, lose emotion, right? And that's the, 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 pro, the way to peace detach yourself from reality is the absolute opposite of the judeo-christian belief that god is in the dancing in the music you know in the eating in the material and um and, and it's a pretty depressing view actually uh to, to say god is somehow you know, just just detach yourself from the realities of life and you will find peace and but then you know, thinking about the context that I suspect most of your listeners are, are in, secular hum- humanism is even worse because, you know, with one, you have some deity who is just dispassionate, but in secular humanism, you have no deity at all. Mm-hmm. So when my wife was, um, you know, she, she suffered with a chronic illness for, for, for you know, 20, 21 years now, and um, she's often been rushed in the hospital and, and uh, after serious epileptic fits. And on one occasion, Josh, I sat by her bedside so depressed because the night before she was having the seizure, I was crying out to God and it hadn't worked. Okay, it just didn't work. And, you know, people say, well, maybe God wanted to teach you something. And I, I feel like kicking them and saying, learn something from that because what is there God can teach me through this seizure that he couldn't teach me or my wife through the previous 300, you know? So I'm depressed. I'm down. I'm not, I'm not naturally a good Christian. I, I found out years ago, I was, 
I was terrible at atheism. I was it really like I kept backsliding, talking to the God I didn't believe in. It was just dreadful. <laughs> and so I resigned myself to being a Christian because I, I was less bad at it than atheism. And so, so you know, I'm a Thomas. My wife, who got saved when she was 17, has the most unbelievable, unshakable faith. Mm. So I'm there in the hospital with her, and I'm saying, babe, maybe God just is, God isn't there. This is how bad my pastoral manner is. Okay. <laughs> maybe. They, and she turned to me, said, thanks for proposing that particular worldview to me at this moment in time. What you're saying is my suffering has no consequence mm. and that I am, you know, the weakest link that I need to be, according to Darwin, flushed out of the genetic pool, that, that there's no hope. So, you know, she reminded me that if you're a, an atheist, a secular humanist, you still go through all this stuff. Mm -hmm. It's just you don't have any hope for this life or the next. Mm -hmm. And so I, I cling on to that bleeding lamb, and I, I cling on to the hem of the garment of that good shepherd because... Life is too precarious. It's too wonderful and too terrifying without it. Mm. You know, for for years, I saw uh, particularly the the Western Church going down a, a road where it was uh, all about church growth and it was about more numbers and and people and yeah. seats and and finances, and it was less about Jesus and yeah. <laughs> following Him and being formed like Him. And then through this pandemic when we had a, a slowdown people said oh we we might have to get back to the god of the universe and and sit with with him right and through some of these these hardships we start to see glimmers of hope moving forward where are some places that you see hope within the church today well, the first thing to say is that God is not insecure around atheists. You know, he's not worried about his own existence, and he's promised to build his church, so it's going to be okay. Um, the, the second thing is that judgment begins with the house of the Lord, according to the scriptures, and we've been praying pretty solidly for 50 years now, come Holy Spirit, so we shouldn't be surprised when the Spirit of God comes in all his holiness and roots out sin, exposes pedophile priests, um, exposes gross narcissism and materialism in leaders of franchises with a Christian uh, brand, um, you know, and shakes the church. And we, we are seeing that. But please, God, let it be a purifying moment. And I think you're right with seeing that. Where do I see hope? First and foremost, you know, we, we, we've been praying nonstop since September 1999 through 9-11, you know, through the war in Ukraine, through President Trump, through everything in between. We've been praying in multiple locations every minute of every hour. And when I step into a 24-7 prayer room, it doesn't matter whether it's a nightclub or a cathedral, I see hope. Mm. You know, when you see the 14-year-old in a prayer room in New Zealand right now trying to talk to God in the middle of the night, I, I see hope. And what we find is God shows up. You know, the scriptures say, when you seek him with all your heart, you find him. And then people say, well, how do I know if I'm seeking God with all my heart? The answer is easy. It's 3 a.m. So when we seek God, 
he shows up and we cannot take any credit for the fact that he answers prayer but we are we see that all around mm-hmm. the world all the time couples stepping into prayer rooms and pornographic addictions getting broken you know um people come into prayer rooms and you know an hour feeling like 10 minutes as they weep their heart out before the lord it's beautiful mm. oh i see hope there and then you know we we were chatting just before the the, the recording started one of the areas i see great hope is is in the world's only um caliphate in the world's only theocracy in the one nation on earth that is what isis and all those guys are dreaming to recreate and i'm talking of course about iran and so this is the dream if you're a fundamentalist radicalized uh muslim of a certain persuasion and and yet it is where officially we see now the fastest growing church in the world that is no longer contested and i've been really privileged to have a ringside seat on all of that uh not least because one of the primary ministries that is serving apostolically serving the iranian church um it it is it is based in our neck of the woods uh they've all been in prison so many times they've been kicked out of iran so they're they're based in the uk Mm. There and they're, they're, they are doing the most unbelievable work, and many of them are in our church. Front few, few, few rows on a Sunday are often Iranians, and uh, you know it's 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 humbling. Every one of them. I was doing some work in Turkey with some of the some of the leaders, and you know, like an idiot for the first day, they kept coming asking me questions. You know, Pastor Pete, this Pastor Pete, that, and I was like an idiot trying to answer them. And then suddenly the penny dropped and I started to ask them their stories and it was beyond humbling. Every one of them has been in prison for their faith. You know, every one of them, utter abandonment to the Lord Jesus Christ. And I felt like I needed to become a Christian all over again. And, uh, of course, many of them don't have church buildings. Um, Many of the churches are very small but growing fast. But the openness to the gospel is astounding. And here's what fascinates me, Josh. It's not just in Iran. Yeah. It is amongst uh, the Farsi-speaking Persian peoples all around the world. If you have Iranians, or as Americans say, Iranians, <laughs> you know, in your city, wherever you are, Kansas City, wherever, they are going to be more open to the gospel than a secular humanist next door. Mm-hmm. I guarantee it. So it's, it's interesting how the Spirit of God sometimes for uh, uh, sociological, uh, but also, I believe, uh, spiritual reasons works in particular demographics. Mm. Yeah, and we see that. I mean, we see that in all nations. We have a lot of Iranian believers who said yes to Jesus and churches have, have, have started. Um, and, but, you know, now as you're, if you're leading a, a church with, with others as well, um, and you have... Iranians coming in and they're, you know, in the first couple of rows that, and then they're immersed in your community. They're, they're strong, they're local, they're there. What implications does that have for the local church when you see and have these incredible Iranian believers that have gone through so much suffering and have been imprisoned, but they say yes to Jesus. I want to follow him with all my heart. How does that shape and form the local church? 
Well, let me give you two practical examples. The first is, um, you know, we just did a teaching series on the book of Revelation. Uh, and of course, that whole apocalyptic, you know, thing is, it, it, it is addressed to churches that were under massive persecution. Yeah. And, um, yeah, I, you know, one of the things, of course, was that the, the, the emperor at the time that much of Revelation was written, um, you know, was, was saying you had to come and, you know, offer a pinch of incense to him as a god. Mm. Uh, otherwise, you know, you're going to lose your job. You might put in prison. And so every Christian, you imagine it, every Christian had to decide, do I go? It's only a pinch. Yeah. Then it's done. I can, I can, I can have my fingers crossed behind my back. Not really mean. I can say sorry to Jesus later. Do I go and do that? And most of them did. Or do I refuse and be separated from my children? Who's going to raise them? You know, how are we going to cope financially? How does it help God? You know, all that stuff. So as we're unpacking this in, you know, in England. I'm suddenly looking down at these front few rows thinking all of you guys refuse to take the pinch. That's why you're in my country, not yours right now. Mm. Uh, and many of you can, can't even return to your homeland. So Matt, Josh, that, that, that changes the conversation. That's the joy of what you're doing with this podcast, helping us to have a global body of price conversation. Yeah. Let, the second thing is really practical. We we suddenly realized we need to humble ourselves and learn from these guys. <laughs> yeah. You know, just maybe, just maybe we, yeah. So um, one of the keys that they, the resources that they've developed that is working amazingly is a discipleship program called Safar, S-A-F-A-R. It just means the journey. And um, it's it goes through all the basics you know, baptism in water, baptism in the spirit, the church, forgiveness, all the basics. And um, the beauty of it is that anyone who's been a Christian for a week can do it, you know, with someone who's seven days younger spiritually. And so, um, and the other beauty of it is they're finding it works pretty well digitally. So you can do it on a telephone, you can do it like through a, a Zoom call or whatever. So this is like has got viral implications mm -hmm. for not just people getting saved, but really discipling people. So we went to those guys and we knew about so far. And, you know, we're doing that classic Western Christian thing. That's great, guys. We're going to pray for you. That's so cool. So far, how do you, how do you pronounce that again? You know, and we're like, what? Why don't we just you know, use the same name, refuse to give it an English name, and try and build this into the culture of our church. So that's a really practical thing that that, that we've been doing. Wow. And that that opens people's minds up and eyes to say that we are, are serving a God that's that's global, that's for the whole world. That's not just for for us, that we're we're born here, born in the West, you know, the 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 first uh, Muslim that we worked with in the Middle East that came to know Jesus, the she she had a dream of Jesus. He called her to himself, um, but it wasn't until we read the story of the birth of Jesus when the 
angels come to the shepherds and, I, and they say, I bring good news of great joy for all people. And she yeah. stopped and she asked us, she said, is Jesus really for all people? I thought Jesus was just for you Christians, people born into a Christian nation. Is he really for us, for us Mus people born in a Muslim country? Yeah, yeah. And we said, well, that's what the angels say. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and uh, she wanted to follow Jesus from that moment, that he is for all people. And so when we have people within our community that we see are from other nations, from people around the world, uh, it really does something miraculous and special mm -hmm. uh, when we're, we're embedded in, in community together that is not homogenous um, and it's not something where I think a lot of times we are siloed in areas where it, we don't know a different imagination of what it, what it looks like to follow Jesus. We don't right. get the diversity of, of God in, in different cultures because of, you know, we're following him in our own little specific land. Um, so how, how do we, start to grapple with and wrestle with and start to see the diversity of God uh, in ways where we may not see it because of our, our location. How do we get to encounter God through different perspectives? Well, um, the first thing I, I would say to that, Josh, is, you know, um, start where you are. Because the risk is, I, I say, you know, you've got to go to somewhere really exotic and cry a lot. But actually, I guarantee you're surrounded by Christians who disagree with you on a bunch of stuff. And honestly, if you're not loving and listening to them, don't get on a plane to somewhere exotic. Start there. My, my friend and mentor, Nikki Gumble, says, this he says i used to look at other kinds of christians and say what's wrong with them and now i look at other kinds of christians and I say what's right with them what can i learn from them mm. and as i travel and with all due respect and i deeply love america lived there for a year i love it i've never seen america more divided particularly uh not just politically but particularly the church. And the church should never, ever be co-opted into one political grouping because Jesus Christ is president, he's Lord, he's king, mm. and politics matter, but they are secondary. And so we mustn't divide on politics, even on theology. And yes, we have to work out what the core is. And if I can suggest, it's probably the Apostles' Creed. It's not a bad place. The fourth century is about the last time we all agree. Uh, uh, and then, you know, if someone can, believes that stuff, you know, virgin birth, resurrection, Holy Spirit, they're probably your brother or sister in Christ. So then if they disagree with you on a whole bunch of other things, the gifts of the Spirit, you know, women in leadership, how to do church, love them and learn from them before you criticize them. Mm. So so, so that's the, the, the first thing I, I would say. And I'll give you an example in my own life. I remember... You know, one of the great adventures for us in the 24-7 prayer movement in recent years has been the doors opening wide into the Catholic Church, mm. which, you know, that, you know, most Christians on earth are Catholics. Mm -hmm. it, it just won't do to say, oh, they're not real Christians. We're the real Christian. You just shrunk Jesus 
right down. Like, don't do that. <laughs> uh, we have to pray and weep and long for renewal in the Catholic Church. And we're seeing hundreds of millions being filled with the Spirit, loving the Bible, falling in love with Jesus. It's terrific. And um, anyway, we were doing a thing. I think I was the first non-Catholic to speak in uh, in uh, uh, the the cathedral, the Catholic cathedral in Salzburg, uh, in Vienna. You know, which is sound of music. You know, all of that uh, Mozart, and um, uh, you know, it was all going fine. We had five thousand young people in there, and then they did this thing, which just pushed me a bit too far. I couldn't really handle it, Josh. It, they <laughs> that. They, they, these these priests processed round holding this big gold cross, which had like the circular wafer thing. You know, they call it yeah. a monstrance. It's it's they they believe it's not just you know a communion wafer. That they believe in transubstantiation, and they believe it is mystically the body of Christ. And so, as this guy, the priest, processed round, there was a floodlight that followed the monstrance. And there was someone swinging incense fore and aft, and all these young people were prostrating themselves in front of it. Mm. And I, I, I watched this. I said, "Lord, I'm really struggling with this because it really looks to me like they're worshiping a thing, yeah, instead of you, right?" I was just, I'm just being really candid. I was struggling, and. The next day, I found myself back in this crowd, standing between the two leaders of this great Catholic youth movement called Loretto, and we were singing a really simple little worship song, He is Lord, He is Lord, one of those simple ones. And I noticed both these men on each side of me were weeping as they sang it, Mm. and I wasn't. And I just sensed the Holy Spirit saying, Kid, when you rediscover how to cry when you sing simple worship songs we can we, we can talk about the other stuff mm. and then it did occur to me later josh that is it that different to prostrate yourself in front of a cross than in front of an overhead projector screen yeah or, or at the feet of a preacher who's put his hand on your head uh, do, do, do you know what i mean yeah so that all that to say, let's learn to cry, Colossians one twenty seven. Christ in you, the hope of glory. Thank mm-hmm. God the church is bigger than my own tradition because we ain't perfect. Yeah. If we're the hope of the world, I'm in deep trouble. The world's in mm-hmm. deep trouble. So let's learn from one another. Mm. It's good. I mean, we we all have. I mean, let's focus on maybe the ninety eight percent of the things that we do agree on, and not the two yeah. percent that we don't. Right. And start there. Um, and then starts to, to learn and we could wrestle th- through those things. And I've always had that uh, in me. Uh, and I think Ephesians 4, the beginning of Ephesians 4 is is something that, you know, we really have to, to say, yes, we want to wrestle with that. There is one God, there is one Lord, there's one baptism, one spirit, yeah. and we're together in this. And so how do we start? with unity then how do we how do we start to grapple with that then I, you're starting to work with in 24 7 in, in you know the catholic church as well and you're seeing across denominations and across you know protestant catholics that we're able to work together but not everybody's seeing that right now or not willing to do it how can we stand in unity under this 
banner of of one God and the one Lord Jesus Christ? Well, the, the first thing is we've got to be clear that you know our differences are a good thing, not a bad thing. Mm. For the most part, you know, I have two sons. You know, if they both grow up to do the same job, wear the same clothes, you know, and never leave the house, I've raised a cult. I haven't raised a healthy family, right? You know, diversity is a good thing. But then with my sons, we've got to work out, well, okay, when do we do Christmas together? And how do we, how do we stay together and loving as a family? But we have the same DNA. And so that's the first thing is celebrate the differences. And I, I want this is an important caveat on what I said earlier. I'm not saying that our theological convictions don't matter. I, I, you know, I am really passionate, for example, about women in leadership. I don't think there's anything that um, in the new covenant that, 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 that you know, a, a, a man can do that a woman can't do. I mean, I was I was discipled by an incredible apostle called Jackie Bullinger in Hong Kong, and she was, you know, planting churches, seeing the supernatural, signs and wonders following. I have to read the New Testament in the light of that experience. Um, I, but I give you lots of things I'm very passionate about. But what I I, 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 I sense is that I don't have the right to draw the dividing line um, on a whole bunch of my convictions and say, if you don't agree with me on all of this, you are somehow out. Mm-hmm. You're not a Christian. You're a lesser Christian. That feels very pharisaical yeah. to me. So we build unity not on compromising on everything we believe, but holding our beliefs with humility, mm-hmm. um, finding out that actually the things, I mean, I, you know, I've changed my beliefs on certain things in the last few years. You know, I know Floyd McClung who started, you know, the the ministry that that, that that you you serve with, Josh. You know, I remember him sitting down and telling me, you know, something, you know, he, he about his own journey where he discovered the importance of the church, yeah, which which he hadn't really believed in when he was <laughs> international director of YWAT. <laughs> yeah, he could never admit that publicly because it was his ATM. It's where the funding comes <laughs> yeah. from, right? But but, you know, he was like, oh, the church is God's missions agency. Interesting. You know, and then I remember him talking to me about discovering the glory of God and how that is the defining paradigm. And so I think healthy Christians, I remember watching some footage about Bernie Sanders, mm-hmm. and it, 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 you probably saw it, showing how he hasn't changed his beliefs on a whole bunch of things since, I don't know, the 70s or something. They played old footage of him, you know, making speeches then and now, and it's the same kind of basic yeah. message. And for all these, like, Gen Zers and millennials, they're like, isn't that cool? Here's a man of real conviction. And then as I reflected on it, and th- I'm not bashing Bernie Sanders, I'm not making any yeah. party political statement, I'm just saying, no, actually, that's not really healthy when people don't change their views mm-hmm. over decades. Um, because we're just not perfect. Yeah. So, so hold on to your convictions, but hold them with humility. Make friends with people who are not like you. Yeah. Um, you know, read books by people who slightly disagree with you. Um, allow yourself to be in contexts that are unsettling. 
uh, for you. And um, you will very quickly find out the convictions you have that really are core convictions and, and are true to you and the convictions that actually maybe there's other ways of seeing things. Mm. Yeah, that's so good. That's so good. Uh, I'd love to shift just slightly and talk a little bit about Waverly Abbey. Uh, yeah. And what are you hopeful for in Waverly Abbey? What is it? And what are we going to see out of it? Okay. It's a big question. <laughs> I know. Um, you have a, a little bit of time. Not much. We, we, have we, we, we just stumbled on this incredible miracle. Um so let me tell you what Waverley Abbey was, and then I'll say what, where we're heading with it. Waverley Abbey is, uh, you know, is an abbey, obviously an old, old, old abbey just outside London. If you any of the listeners have ever flown into Heathrow Airport, London Heathrow, it's about forty minutes from there. It's beautiful. It's one hundred and twelve acres of you know forest and formal lawns. Think Downton Abbey, you know, a big old lake. Uh, a grand old house um, at which the great and the good used to hang out from Florence Nightingale to Conan Doyle, who wrote, you know, Sherlock Holmes. Um, and, and there's the ruins in the ground of this of this old abbey, the first Cistercian Abbey. That 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 was uh, a place of prayer for about 450 years. Uh, for, yeah, 450 years. Um, from 1128 through to, you know, the, the 16th century when Henry VIII, you know, shut them down. But we, before that, this patch of land was dedicated as a place of prayer in the year, get this, 688 AD. Wow. Like, this is pretty <laughs> close to Jesus. <laughs> like, time. I, I, I know a lot of my American friends just zone out at this point, go, it's just old, right? I'm like, yeah. But it's really a horse. <laughs> you know, this is this is this is over a millennium of prayer. Mm. So I, I took my friend Bill, who's highly prophetic, down there, and we were wandering around, and he said he could hear the prayers coming out of the ground. Mm. You know, centuries, people who spent their whole lives praying on that site. The reason I'm telling you this, the reason you're kind enough to ask me about it, is um just under a year ago. From from now, um, a conversation really began, and uh, with with the people who had been uh, have have owned the site for the last forty years, and um, as a result, last summer, um, their ministry, which is called CWR and ours, twenty four seven prayer, came together to take control of this site to establish a new entity called Waverley Abbey Trust and uh, what we are doing uh, on the site is reviving the Abbey and um, let, let, let me explain what that means and then um, just give you a sense of it so you know the old abbeys were the key to the evangelization of pre-Christian Europe um you know, from, from from Iona Abbey, which was is it on a Scottish island, which was the greatest center of Christianity outside the Mediterranean basin mm. for about three centuries, through to Westminster Abbey, which some of you will have watched on TV at the Queen Queen Elizabeth's funeral recently. 
By the way, that event was watched by half the world's population. Wow. And the gospel was preached by my friend Justin Welby. The choir sang the scriptures. I mean, that's back to our earlier point. I had I had certain Christians saying, oh, he didn't preach the gospel right. What a missed opportunity. And I'm just like, get over it. It's yeah. just a different culture. Like, deal with it. So, um, so, so abbeys are a big deal. And what interests me is that they, they didn't do church like the way we do church. You know, a Sunday meeting. We even call it a congregation. You congregate out of something into this religious space. Mm. And you take Holy Communion away from the meal table and it becomes ritualized around an altar. <laughs> you know, I, what they did was create colonies of heaven. The abbeys were centers of education. They were hospitals. They were care for the poor. Uh, uh, they, 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 they worked the land. They, they brewed beer. You know, they offered hospitality to pilgrims. Uh, and at the heart of it all was prayer. They were places of prayer, houses of prayer that were mission centers and uh, uh, social justice centers. And so what uh, our vision for Waverley Abbey is, we summarize it, Josh, under four E's. First, encounter. It's a place of encounter with God. Uh, You know, so we are praying there. Uh, We're building a praying community there. We are uh, offering the Ignatian exercise, or will be offering the Ignatian exercises. People are coming on pilgrimage. I was just there two days ago, and as I pulled up, there was a, a girl from Czech, the Czech Republic there. Uh, there was a girl who's been in Greece working with refugees. I mean, just the nations are already just coming like you wouldn't believe. So uh, there's a place of encounter with God. And let me just pause and say to you this. I don't believe there has been a moment in any of our lifetimes when the need for prayer has been greater than it is now. And if we think that evangelism alone will get the job done, we aren't reading our Bibles. You know, the church was born out of a prayer room. Jesus stopped them doing evangelism. He said, you know, having said, go to all nations, you then said, don't. Yeah, wait and pray. You need the Holy Spirit. And then when the Spirit of God came, 3,000 get baptized in a day. So we really need places of prayer. 24-7 roots itself in the story of Hanhut, you know, where the Moravian Christians prayed nonstop for 100 years, sent missionaries out all over the world, but John Wesley changed the world. So this is another Hanhut. But secondly, so that's the first he encounter. Second, education. And at Waverley Abbey, we have inherited a brilliant college called Waverley Abbey College that is the best place in all of Europe at training Christian counselors at a time of a mental health crisis. And so we're working hard to uh, broaden those courses and to move them online so you can be at Albuquerque or Sri Lanka and train with Waverly Abbey College because we want to tool up uh, Christian, especially Christian leaders, with the best of psychology, no apologies for that, and the best of theology to bind up broken hearts. So uh, education. The third thing, so we've, we've got a house of prayer, we've got a Christian university, The third thing is enterprise, social enterprise. We can't fund this just on handouts, the old model uh, from from Christians. And so we're starting businesses. We've got some unbelievably successful business people who are coming around this now. We're creating a brand around the monastery 
and we, we got you know smart tech recording studios you know hospitality you know the whole thing so um uh, enterprise and then finally engagement we are utterly determined that this won't just be a place we pray a lot train some people and have some cool boutique hipster businesses it will be a place that makes a measurable difference amongst the poor and the lost it preaches the gospel so that's the vision for ease it is an extraordinary thing to be doing that in a place that's been a place of prayer for 1400 uh years and we are incredibly uh, excited about it but it's one of the biggest challenges of my life so you must all come and stay Yes, that would be amazing. And I pray that this Abbey can start to to multiply across the world too, where they say there are going to be places of, of encounter and prayer and education, places of, of kingdom business uh, and enterprise, yep. places where we're going to see social change uh, and care for the poor and the marginalized and neglected in the communities. And we could see that in cities across the world. And so that's one of my big prayers of out of Waverly Abbey. We're going to see this going, oh, here is something that we could start to launch to the nations and to see this happen in people and places where Jesus is not yet known, but we're going to see Jesus come to the forefront. People are going to start to to worship him and live into the kingdom and this kingdom reality around the world. And so that's my prayer. Amen. I want to see it happen. That's good. Uh, so Pete, if you could go back all the way to your 21 year old self, what advice would you give? Get a decent haircut. <laughs> um, uh, oh, I'll tell you another one. Um, do not, do not, uh, get rid of all your vinyls and replace them with compact discs. Yeah. That is worth a lot of money. That, that, that is not a good thing to do. Uh, but it's precisely what I did. Um, yeah, you know, I think I would say, the first thing I think I'd say is, don't be so intense. Intensity is not a gift of the Holy Spirit. Joy is. Mm. Um, it's going to be okay. You're actually going to meet a girl who likes you and she's amazing. Don't worry. Um, Life's going to be much more painful than you ever thought it could be, but you're going to survive. It's going to be all right. And God is going to do things with you and through you beyond anything you could ask or imagine. Just keep saying yes. And and I think that's probably the only other thing, Josh, I'd want to say to 21-year-old me is, you know, my friend Jill Weber, who is actually like the abbess of Waverly Abbey, She's amazing. She says this. She says, um, at the posture of a true disciple is this. Yes. Lord, the answer is yes. Now what's the question? You know, let me reframe that. The most dangerous thing that you will ever do in your life is saying no to the God who knows you best and loves you best. The safest thing you can ever do is say yes to the one who knows you best and wants the best for your life. Mm. And so get into the habit, even when it terrifies you, of saying yes to God 
And uh, in the words of Julian of Norwich, that old saint, all shall be well and all shall be well and all manner of things shall be well. Yeah, that's good. Anything you've been reading, watching lately you could recommend? Yeah. Uh, I just watched a great series on, I don't know, was it Hulu? Uh, but it was, um, it was it was called Dropout. It was an eight-part series exploring that Theranos. Yeah. You know, Elizabeth, uh, what was her surname? Anyway, uh, that was extraordinary. You want to see how the values of greed uh, 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 and the desire for power mm. can twist an individual and become a culture, it's absolutely chilling. And fascinating because we all know that she, you know, she was just literally, what was it like a month ago, six, two months ago, was sent to prison. Yeah. For 12 years, I think she got in the end. Um, so she's there right now. But, um, you know, because it, it was basically a big Ponzi screen. She, she claimed that with a prick of blood, you could do 68 different medical tests and everyone, Rupert Murdoch, all these, all these people, you know, she was the richest woman in America. Mm-hmm. And then they found out there was literally no truth to her claims, yeah. but everyone was bored because you know once one person invests, everyone's worried about missing out. So it, it's like this amazing study on the culture mm-hmm. and on the insidious nature of sin and what that looks like structurally. And the only thing I would say is that it was pretty bleak because there wasn't a lot of redemption in. There. There wasn't any repentance in that. So, yeah, I just watched that. I don't know, do you want a Christian answer? No, I want a, I want a real answer. <laughs> yeah, there you go. <laughs> that's, that's good. That's good. I'm, How also, could... I'm also reading Royal, Royal Heiser at the moment on, on yeah. spiritual formation, which is very good. There you go. Just to reassure anyone who's questioning what <laughs> they A lot of Ronald Royal Heiser recommendations lately. Uh, the podcast people and guys, follow this new book. See some oh, surrender. So oh, stunning. And and here's my hot tip: if you haven't read Surrender yet, don't listen to it. The audio book is incredible. He reads it himself. He like bleeds in different YouTube tracks and poetry and sound wow. effects. Unbelievable. And wow, yeah, the audio book is Surrender. Yeah, get yeah. that. That's Very- I love it. Um, how could uh, people connect in uh, with some of what you're doing? What would you like to say? I mean, there's so many things that you could you could say, but where would you want people to plug into? Hey, just, yeah, you can, you can find out more about all of this stuff at 247prayer.com. Um, my name is Pete Gregg, and, you know, I'm on, for my sins, I'm on social media, so you can connect there. And, you know, one, maybe one of the good on-ramps for people uh, is we do this daily devotional. It's absolutely free called uh, Lectio 365. You can get it wherever you get your apps from. And like I say, that's got hundreds of thousands of daily users. And it will help you to fall back in love with the Bible by praying the Bible, you know, rather than just reading it. So I think that's why it's really taken off. And then Josh... You know, as you're nice enough to ask, I've written some books. Yeah, Reverend Rising, Dirty Glory, Got on Mute about unanswered prayer. 
you know, that's where we started, Paradox. Um, how to pray, simple guide for normal people. How to hear God, a simple guide for normal people. Uh, and one or two others. So those those are all on Amazon. Mm. And they're so good. And uh, we've, we've incorporated uh, how to pray and some other things into our All Nations internship to say, Oh, wow. Thank let's you. learn and grow uh, from Pete Gregg. So thank you for that so that we could uh, help others say prayer is essential and necessary and needed as we go out to make Jesus known around the world. Beautiful. So, Pete, thank you so much. Thank you for talking through the paradox of where God is in the midst of all of that, uh, walking through this journey of the diversity of God, seeing the unity of the church and believers, seeing the hope in the Iranian church right now, going to say what is going to happen through Waverly Abbey, and hopefully then we could see that transfer all around the world. And uh, yeah, so thank you so much for this conversation. I truly enjoyed it. Oh, it's been rich. Thank you, Josh. God bless you. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. If you want to see more episodes like this, Go to patreon.com slash shifting culture and become a monthly patron of the show. You can help us produce more episodes so that we can see the body of Christ look more like Jesus. If you become a patron on patreon.com slash shifting culture, uh, you will get early access to episodes. You will get episode guides. You will get bonus shows, hopefully, and more. So go to patreon.com slash shifting culture and become a monthly patron. Also, leave a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. Uh, It really helps us out and helps us find new listeners to the show. And just go and share this podcast with your friends, your family, your network, people that you think would enjoy it as well. Thank you again for listening to the show. I hope you have a great week.